Our scripture reading for this morning is found in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. This is the word of the Lord. I believe in a world full of magic. Like we just sang, right? The, the wondrous, the, the mysterious, the fantastic, the, the inexplicable. I believe in a world full of magic. Stop rolling your eyes. I can see you. Um, and no, I, I didn't dip into the eggnog a little bit early, nor am I feeling particularly sentimental with, with Christmas and all that. I don't have that muscle, um, I assure you. And, I, and I, know, I know how unenlightened this sounds, but I believe in a world that's full of magic. You don't have to escape somewhere to, to find it. It's, it's here, it's now, it's today, it's everywhere. You just have to have eyes to see it. If you don't believe me, just, I mean, just go to the zoo, for example, right? I mean, consider, consider the butterfly. Did you know that, that the, the, the butterfly, that scientists still don't fully understand what happens inside there? Like, this blew me away. I, I heard this the other day. I listened to a podcast on this. That if, if you cut open a chrysalis, do you know what you find inside? I mean, I was assumed to be like, you know, half butterfly, half caterpillar, right? No. The caterpillar turns into goo. Like, like a snot-like substance inside there, and then, and then a butterfly. It's magic, right? Or, or, or visit, visit a, a national park with, with these guys, like this, right? I will, I will take that day, really that hour that we spent in that spot, I will carry that with me the rest of my life. And I don't, I don't know why. I can't, I can't explain it. I can't put words around it other than just magic. Or think about laughter. Like, when's the last time you, you really laughed? I don't mean, you know, watching some stupid show, a little lighthearted chuckle. I'm talking about, like, the deep belly, like, late at night, dinner with friends, where you laugh so hard that the tears begin to squeeze out, and it hurts and feels so good at the same time. It's, it's magic. And I, and I know, I know, there, there are rational explanations for, for all of these things, right? It can all be boiled down, we, we often say, to, to genetics and brain chemistry, right? I, and I get that, right? My, the, the theory that, that my, my ancestors, they survived because they liked those things, and so now, now I like those things. I mean, I, I understand that. I just prefer believing it's magic. It's just so much more satisfying, isn't it? And, and I see it, I see it on some of your faces. You know, Nathan has finally lost his mind. Um, some of you are surprised I lasted this long. Um, or, or others of you, if you're, if you're new to church or newer, maybe, maybe you hear that and I'm just confirming your deepest suspicions that I knew it, you Christians, just a bunch of fairy tale believing unthinking morons. Maybe. But don't you at least wish it was true? It's one of the things I love most about the Christmas season. Because Christmas, Christmas makes believers of us all, doesn't it? 
Uh, almost anyway. I don't mean, I don't mean believer in any, any theological sense. But if there is any time of year when, when we as a culture are at least like a tiny bit open to the possibility of believing in something fantastic, it's now, isn't it? I mean, for crying out loud, our, our houses are decorated with flying reindeer and talking snowmen. Uh, maybe a Yeti. Anybody got a Yeti in your house? Um, an old fat guy with a beard who sneaks into your house to give you presents. Um, even, even a God baby in a food trough. We bring trees into our houses. We sing songs. We reconnect with those we love. And we, we believe, I think, collectively that somehow this year it's going to be better, right? That I'm going to be the best version of myself. That maybe my, my heart will grow a few sizes like the Grinch, right? Maybe I'll be a little more generous, a little more forgiving, a little more patient. Those relationships that have been so hard. Maybe this year will be better. The, the sense of loss that many of us feel around. Maybe, maybe this year it'll be different. And we hope for more. Christmas makes believers of us all. Modern philosophers explain how today, for the first time in human history, we in the West, we live in a closed universe. Uh, meaning anything that's, that's outside of what we can see, anything that we cannot explain, we just dismiss, right? We, ha- we have no room for the transcendent, the inexplicable, the amazing, the mysterious, the fantastic. And yet for a few weeks, every December... We crack the window just a tiny bit and hope for more. Well, I believe in more. And I want you to believe in more. And this, this old dead guy who lived a long time ago, his name was John. He wants us to believe in more. You see, John... John knew Jesus, like actually knew him, walked with him, spent time with him. He'd, he'd heard the sermon, saw the miracles, actually knew him for several years. And he wrote a little book, it's in our Bibles, called The Gospel of John, The Good News According to John. And we're going to spend December as a church together, these, these next five Sundays, including today, in just chapter one, John's sort of prologue, his, his introduction to this guy named, named Jesus. And we're looking at John because John 1, because we're searching for belief. And John makes it really clear. He doesn't beat around the bush. Like, he tells his readers, like, I'm writing this so that you'll believe. Like, that's what I want, that's what I want you to do when you read these words. In fact, we, we see that at the end of the, the book in John chapter 20. He, he just calls it out. He says, these are written, like everything I put down in this book, I have written them down so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. He wants you to believe because he wants you to have life, whole life, not just December, make-believe magic, a life of wonder even today. But let's be honest, that's a tall order, isn't it? Why don't we pray together and ask God to help us as we look at these words? Let's pray. Father, we can't do this on our own. And so I, I pray that in this moment, this morning, this season, these next few weeks, God, would you break into my heart in new ways? God, that we, would, that we would see you, that you would invade our stories just as you did so long ago as you entered this planet that you made. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts eager to be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, go ahead and turn to, to John chapter 1 if you haven't already. Uh, and maybe, maybe if you're newer to the Bible, you think, okay, we're starting a gospel, John chapter 1, 
It's like the beginning, right? So where are the wise men and the angels, right? And all the, like the Christmas, Christmas standards that we kind of expect. Well, let me, let me kind of explain that a little bit. If you are a little bit newer, first, there, there are four gospels in, in our Bibles, and four authors, right, they, they write about Jesus uh, in, in their own sort of perspective, right? Just as if you were to go to the, the bookstore, not that anybody ever does that anymore, uh, but if you were to order four books, four biographies of the same person off Amazon, and that you got them, they were written all about the same person, they would be different, but they would tell the same story, right? They would just do so from a, from a dis- different perspective. And Mark was the first, most likely, who wrote uh, probably around 20, 25 years after uh, the resurrection. And Mark, Mark writes his, his gospel, and he focuses really on Jesus' ministry, right? Nothing else, uh, as far as we know, right, that's been you know, preserved has, is, is out there at that time. And so he's, he's writing it out. He gets it out. He's concerned not about Christmas, uh, but about the, the, the details of, of, his, of his life, his, his death and resurrection. Um, and so he kind of skips the, the Christmas stuff. Uh, Matthew and, and Luke were, were written later, or, or next, roughly maybe 30 years after, after the resurrection or so. Uh, and in that added time, Luke tells us that he did his, his research, and we can presume Matthew does as well. They look back farther to tell more of the story and go all the way to Jesus' birth. That's where we get those, those, you know, Christmas stories. But by the time John writes, you know, it's 40, maybe more years after uh, the resurrection. It's possible that he's, he's read the other three. So what else, what else needs to be said? And John, he skips the, the standard Christmas stuff. I mean, why rewrite it? And he goes back even further, before Jesus' birth, before the Old Testament even, even before the earth was made. John gives us the cosmic story of Christmas. To answer our questions, who is Jesus really? And is he worth believing in? And in his opening words, just in these first couple of verses, as he writes this story out, he gives us three incredible ideas to wrestle with this morning. True magic. All centered around this really strange word, strange to us the word. Again, have your Bible open to John 1 if you have it with you. We'll have the uh, uh, scripture on the slides as well. But the first, the first thing we see in these, these amazing verses is that God's best word to you, like the most important thing he has to say to you and to me, his ultimate message is a person, which I know sounds kind of meaningless to us, but it changed everything in, in, the first, in the first century, that God has spoken in his ultimate word. It's not, a, it's not simply a list of, of rules to live by. It's not just a philosophy for building your life. God's most important word to you is Jesus. Look, look at verse one. This is how he starts. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, he was in the beginning with God. Now, again, let's just grant it, grant it that, you know, word is a nickname, weird nickname for anybody, right? Especially a, a baby uh, in a manger. But what, what John is doing here is really, really important. And, and it's clear as the chapter continues that, that when John uses that word, word, he's talking about, about Jesus. 
Now, now there's two major things happening here, and uh, both of them we just we miss, right? It just sounds weird to us. It's such strange language. Why is he calling him the word? I mean, it's just bizarre, isn't it? But there's two primary things that are happening here. First of all, for, for a Jewish audience, there's, there's reading this gospel in the first century, there's Jewish people and there are Gentile people, Romans and, and, and Greeks, right? Reading, reading this together. And, and first, for the, for the Jews, and they read that, I mean, the word of God is everything to them. I mean, that, that's, that's part of who God is, is his word, right? In fact, isn't this how the Bible begins? I mean, the very opening words of this book, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John says, in the beginning was the word. Like, he's doing that on purpose, right? And, and in the Old Testament, the word, the word of God, I mean, God, he creates with a word. He reveals who he is in a, in a word. He, he gives his laws to his people in a, in a series of words. He delivers his people with a word. I mean, the word is everything. And here, John this Jewish man declares before all of that, even before the start of the scriptures, there was another word, a living sermon, a person. Shocking to the Jewish readers. I mean, the, the thought that anybody could have said this in, in the first century, I mean, it, it would have, I mean, they didn't have any category whatsoever for this. They had, they had no no ability to jump in here. So hard. But not, not just the Jewish readers. The Gentiles as well. Like the Greeks and Romans, like they didn't have any category for this. Because you see, they heard something very different when they heard this word. Because for them, it's the, the Greek word logos. That's what's translated as word. And that, that was a heavy word for them. Uh, kind of their, their philosophical understanding of way of life. Like this is in the time of the Stoics and just after you know, Plato and all of that is kind of built into this. And so when they heard logos... I mean, they, they at that time, the philosophers at that time believed enlightenment, salvation, the good life, the best life, it comes through logos, through reason, intelligence, philosophy itself, our ability to figure it out and to make our way. And so John says, actually what you're looking for is a person. And this, this is one of the things, friends, that makes Christianity so, so unique like our faith, it's not, it's not just a bunch of rules, right? Nor, nor is it simply a list of, of doctrines or a philosophy of life built exclusively on reason. Though, though those things matter, they're important. But Christianity is fundamentally about faith in a person. Like no other, no other worldview or religion makes such claims. That our, our hope, our focus, our center, everything we do as a people is centered on this this one person. And if you're honest with yourself, I'm guessing for some of us here this morning, you're trusting in a bunch of rules and rituals to save you. Religion, essentially. Like, if I'm, if I'm good enough, right, then I'll be okay. Life will be okay, and I'll, I'll get in when I die. Others, again, if, if you're honest, probably more of us, you know, we're, we're trusting in our own ability to figure it out. Like, I'm, I'm smart enough. I can put the pieces together. I can figure out what's meaningful in my life. I can decide what really matters. And I can use reason to master life on my own. Either way, you're trusting in something by faith. It, it, might, it might be religion. It might be secular reasoning. John says, better to trust a person. Now, of course, it's not just 
any person, right? You can just pick some random person, right? Something significant about this person. And so as John, as John continues, he tells us, this is the second thing, that this, this word has written himself into our story. He has written himself into our story. So first, again, John blows everyone away, right? Everyone who's reading this by saying that God's ultimate message is a person. But it gets even more fantastic. This person is divine and he's here. He's God and he's come. Again, again, let me read, beginning with verse one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. You following this, right? It's a little confusing, right? I mean, think about it. Okay, so he's saying the word was with God in the beginning and at the same time he was God. Anybody else feel that that's a little weird, right? How can you be with someone and be that same someone at the same time, right? Well, I know this is, this is a bit abstract and, and hard for us to get our minds around, but we believe that the Christian God is Trinity, right? That, that our, our God is one. There is no God but one. But he's also three. And so Jesus is, is with God, with the Father. They're not the same. They exist from eternity past in relationship with one another. And at the same time, he is God, not a God or God-ish, right? God-like. He's God, and John even goes further and says, yeah, well, he made everything, and without him, nothing was made that was made, right? He's like, just, just in case you missed what I said, right? He's the creator. Confused much? I mean, this concept, like, you just, like, try explaining it to your kids, right? Try explaining it to yourself, right? This is, this is hard to get your, get your minds around, isn't it? But I just, I just want to say, like, don't let that discourage you. Because I think, I think sometimes we think if, well, if I can't fully understand this theological concept, then it must not be true. I mean, think about how self-centered that is, first of all. Presuming that if I, a very limited finite, on earth for maybe 80 years, time-bound, broken individual, if I can't get my mind around something of the infinite God, that it must not be true? I mean, here's, here's the reality. Would you want a God that you could fit in a little box and perfectly understand and carry around in your pocket? No. And I'm not, I'm not saying we, we abandon reason or the, or the rational. We just put all that aside and go off in our goofy ways, right? And, and yet, at the same time, though, we, we want a God that, that's bigger than our imagination, that blows our expectations out of the water, that we can't fully get our mind, that causes us, right, to, to, to wonder, to, to be in awe, to worship. That's what we want when it comes to God. And the fact that this one this God enters his own story. He comes and he joins us. And for example, a few decades back, when a Russian astronaut finally made it up into space, he came back and he said, well, didn't see God, so there's no God, right? Didn't see him up there, so there's, can't exist. And I love, how, I love how C.S. Lewis responded. He was alive at that time. Uh, and C.S. Lewis was an atheist who became a Christian and wrote very influentially in, in Christianity. Um, I love what he said. He said, looking for God in space 
is like Hamlet, you know, the fictional Prince of Denmark, right? Is that right? Looking for God in space is like Hamlet looking for Shakespeare in the attic of the castle. It just it can't be done. Like the, the person in the play can't, I mean, it, just, it, it doesn't work that way, right? The only way, Lewis said, that Hamlet could possibly get to know Shakespeare, how would it happen? Shakespeare would have to write himself into the story. Shakespeare would have to, he would have to put himself there with Hamlet. And the only way for us to know God is for God to do it. And look at verse 14. We'll unpack this more in a couple of weeks. Um, but we have to go there today as well. Verse 14, John says, And the Word, right, Jesus, God, the Creator, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word is God and the Word is here. For he wrote himself into our story. Why? Why would he do that? Well, John, John answers that question for us as well. It's for life. You see, and this is the third thing, the word, this word speaks life to all who hear it, to all who will listen. The, light, the life that we long for, look at verse, verse four. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Life today, the, the best version of yourself, I mean, the one you're hoping for for Christmas, right? Here, here it is. And life forever. The death doesn't have to be the end. Real life. This is the word. And he's come to bring you life. And so let me just ask, are you, are you listening for it? If God's message to you is a person, a word, are you, are you listening? Whether, whether you're a Christian or not, are you at least open to it? Well, how do, how do we listen to this word? Let me just mention three uh, practical steps quickly to help us here. Because if, if, if God is this, this word, right, and he's come, how do we hear him? Well, three things. First, first, listening to this word begins by acknowledging the other voices, the competing words around you. Belief is hard. It's hard for me, right? But listen, we all, every one of us believes something. Every one of us here is building, you, you are building your life on something that you believe matters, that you believe will, will lead to the good life, that will, that will satisfy you, that will be, that be okay. Every one of us does that. Which means there, there are all kinds of voices that you are listening to by faith and saying, yes, this is what matters. And the reality is, if you step back out of that for a moment, you cannot prove what it, that what it is you're living for actually matters. You can't prove it. I mean, if we live in a, in a temporary world where just a big mistake, then nothing matters, really, right? What does it matter if I, if I love people or hate them? Like, I'll be gone in, in a second, right, in the universe. It's all so temporary. You can't prove that what you're living for actually matters or that what you, what you believe is really true. Just like I can't, I can't believe that the word came. I can't believe that John's words are, are true. I can't do that. But your life is built 
on, in faith on something, and just like mine is. And so let me just say, like, like, doubt Christianity, and I'll join you, okay? We can have a little doubt party together, and we can talk through our doubts and struggles. I mean that, all right? I got my list, all right? There are, it's hard to enter into belief. I'm, I'm with you. But listen, friend, you also have to doubt the things that you're currently building your life on. The things that you are telling your, your life matters, that are, they're good, that you believe, that you are saying this, this is true and good and beautiful. You can trust the rules and your ability to be good enough. You can trust your intellect that somehow you've got it figured out. I'd rather trust this person. Second, if you want to hear this word, then you have to put yourself in the way of the word. Put yourself in his way. Don't avoid him, right? That's what we're good at. Put yourself in his way. So, for example, Cheryl Strayed, uh, in her book Wild, From Lost to Found on the Pacific Crest Trail, she quotes her mom and says, there's, there's always a sunrise and always a sunset, and it's up to you to choose to be there for it. Put yourself in the way of beauty. I think the same is true with this word. The word has come. He's speaking. Put yourself in his way. I mean, even, even the example she gives, right, the, the sunrise and, and the sunset, if he is the creator, if he made all of it, then he, he speaks to us through his creation. If you want to encounter God, go for a walk in the woods. Climb a mountain. Go to the zoo. Open your eyes. In fact, I've read two books recently uh, on the neurological and developmental benefits of nature, neither from a Christian perspective, both ending with chapters on awe, the, the, the wonder that happens when we're in those moments. I mean, even, even Calvin and Hobbes get it. I love this. Look at the stars, Calvin says. The universe just goes out forever and ever. And Hobbes responds, it kind of makes you wonder why man considers himself such a big screaming deal. And then back inside, that's why we stay inside with our appliances. <laughs> or if it's written a decade later with our devices, right? Touche. Listen, if he made it, and he made it good. And if you want to encounter him, look around. Open your eyes to the world around you. But of course, you can't, you can't stop there. He's also spoken. Read his book. Pray to him. Show up, show up here on Sundays. Get to know others who are also listening to this word, building their lives on him. Put yourself in his way. And finally, finally, reawaken a little wonder. Reawaken the wonder. I mean, this is why kids are just so fun at Christmas. I mean, because you just see it in their eyes. They just, they leak wonder, right? It just oozes out all over the place. But it's not just for kids, and it can't just be at Christmas. Stir it up inside you. In fact, Einstein said, the most beautiful emotion we can experience is the mysterious. And again, as I said, modern philosophers describe how now today, for the first time in the history of the world, like we in the West, we live in a closed universe, if we can't explain it, we don't want it. Like, there's, there's no room for, for the transcendent. There's no, there's no room for the mis mysterious. There's no room for God. And, and yet we long for it. And we know we do, right? If you wa you know, watch, watch some of the, the movies and shows. Read some of the, the books or poetry. Listen to some of the music. Like, there's still this, this, this endless longing for more, so much so that atheist Julian Barnes, I love what he says here. He says, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. Friends, leave the window open. Let him break in. 
He invaded our story once before. Can he invade yours? And you know, I just I find it so amazing that John wrote these words. And we kind of forget, we think, well, it's in the Bible. We just sort of expect these kinds of words to come out of that book. Or you maybe even think, like, man, it's written so long ago, idiots, they just believed anything, right? We just we're such snobs when it comes to the past. We think, man, these they just they just believe stuff, right? But listen. I mean, as I said at the start, like there, there is nothing neither the Greeks nor Jews had to, to, prevail, to give them like a, a category for this kind of thing breaking in. They, they didn't see it coming. In fact, philosopher Luke Ferry, who's not a Christian, he compellingly argues in his, his recent bestseller, A Brief History of Thought, A Philosophical Guide to Living. He argues that these words of John, these first few words of chapter one, literally changed our world. He doesn't believe them. But, but he explains how, how John gave the Western world such a compelling philosophy of life that salvation all of a sudden became personal instead of a cold, rational, rule-based path. And it spread across the known world like wildfire. And he goes on, he argues, had that not happened, the things that we love in our culture, things like human rights, individual freedom, the belief that, that love and humility are are genuinely good things. Like he argues, like none of those would be true of our culture today had this not broken through John's words and the, and the birth of the church through, through, through Jesus. Like we, we, we just sort of assume those things now in our culture, but those, those all have roots in this past. And the radical shift in thought that happened when John wrote these words. And if that's not, if that's not shocking enough, I just even think about like what it was like for John as a good Jewish person to write these words. I mean, because if there's anything that a Hebrew understood in the first century is that there's one God and only one God. Like they, they, they messed up on that one enough times. Like they, they knew that. And all of a sudden, John saying, well, Jesus, right? Like this is, this is absolute blasphemy. Like what would it take for a first century Jew to call a man Jesus, man, God? What would it take? Or even just make it like personal, like, John hung out with Jesus. Like, they spent years together. Like, they ate meals. They traveled together. Like, they were friends. They, they knew each other. Let me, let me ask you, like, is there anybody in your life that you're friends with today that you would possibly say anything remotely similar to these words about? Like, so-and-so, he's the word became... Fl- no, right? Like, there's nobody! How, how could he do it? Like, what would it take? The only thing I can come up with is that John saw it. He saw this God write himself into our story. He, not, not with privilege and power, but as a child, one, one who came to be rejected and despised, who ends up hung, hang, hanging on a tree that he as the creator had made, bearing the sins of us all. But the grave couldn't hold him. And John saw it. No wonder he believed. No wonder he wants us to believe. Are you open to the wonder? Let me pray. Father, again, only you can do this work in us. So God, I pray that you would break into my life and that you would write your story once again into our hearts. That we would know you and see you, that we would be drawn together to a place of worship. What kind of God does this? What kind of God does this for people who reject him, who run from him? Lord, I pray that you would, instead of, instead of 
letting us run off in our own skepticism and doubt. God, would you fuel us with your love and with the strength of belief. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The beautiful and mysterious truth of Christmas is that the seemingly unknowable God has become knowable, that, that the creator God has become a creature, that the extraordinary God has become ordinary in the most beautiful way, that he has written himself into our story that we might know him, that we might know and see the, the manifestation of the wisdom of God in the person of Jesus. And so it is our hope and prayer that this Advent season, that, that Christ would be born in our hearts afresh, and perhaps even for the first time that we might see the goodness of the one who has come to return us to the life that we lost because of sin and death. And so as, as we leave this place, uh, my prayer and encouragement for us is that our hearts would be stirred to see the beauty of the truth of this season and what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. But hear these words uh, from the Apostle Paul as our benediction, our good word for the road, as he describes the infinite wisdom of God that we see manifest in the person of Jesus. Hear these words as we leave this place. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace. Amen.